from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. When Lamont Black talks to credit union audiences about cryptocurrency, he asks them to first frame the conversation around technology rather than the risk and volatility associated with the trading of digital assets. I'm Ron Jose, Senior Editor with CUNA News. In this podcast, Lamont Black, a DePaul University professor and cryptocurrency expert, will offer a deep dive into the cryptocurrency world and the technology behind it. In this interview, Black provides us with the history of cryptocurrency's rise, the state of the current market, and how credit unions can play a role in introducing their members to the sometimes confusing world of crypto. Just as importantly, Black also describes the potential of blockchain, the technology that supports cryptocurrency. As Black explains, blockchain may someday be a key driver in the digital economy of the future. Lamont Black, thanks for joining us. And you're with DePaul University. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and what you do there at DePaul? Yeah, thanks, Ron. I teach at DePaul University. I've been here since 2013, and I'm in the business school, the Driehaus College of Business, and I'm in the finance department. So when I first joined, I started teaching money and banking, sort of traditional finance. And then over the last few years, I've started teaching more cryptocurrency, blockchain. I now teach a lot of data analytics uh, in the area of fintech. So yeah, the, the curriculum's changed a lot over the last few years. When cryptocurrency first came on the horizon, probably we're talking about 10 years ago, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And a lot of people said that it just wasn't going to last. But here we are about 10 years later, and, and it's going strong. Do you want to explain its staying power, why it's why it stayed so strong and in the market? Well, yeah, cryptocurrency is a pretty radical idea. So I think even today, there's still a lot of skeptics and a lot of questions about what the future of this technology is. Uh, but I often point people back to the origins of crypto with the publication of the Bitcoin white paper, which was the fall of 2008. So this was the heart of the financial crisis. And I think that white paper introduced a paradigm shift in the way that we think about money, the way we think about sharing information online, the way we think about the ownership of digital assets. And so I think everyone's still trying to figure out what to do with this and what are the implications of this. But ultimately, I think even though it goes through these various price cycles, I view it as a form of technology that has huge potential. So I think the the future of it still is very promising. You actually trace it back to a, a specific white paper that kind of served as kind of a platform for the popularity. There was a white paper that really explained it well. How did that work? Oh, yeah. That's the Bitcoin white paper. So oh. Satoshi Nakamoto... That was the white paper. So Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash. So you can go to Bitcoin.org. You can view it there. You can download it. It's about nine pages long. And I encourage people to read it because it really is kind of a, first of all, a bit of a manifesto about why we do, why it's different because it starts out, you know, money is 
still very dependent on governments and banks. And so it introduces this idea of digital currency that functions more on a network independent of these other institutions. Yeah, I would love to read that. I think it would really clarify a lot for people about that staying power and just where we are today, I think. Yeah, um, no, just to be clear, I mean, it gets technical quickly. So that, yeah. that white paper <laughs> is really also explaining blockchain and how blockchain is used as the technology that makes cryptocurrency possible. So when I am speaking with credit unions, I typically am talking about both crypto and blockchain. They are not one and the same. Crypto does not exist without blockchain, but you can use blockchain for other purposes as well. Yeah, and that is an important distinction, and um, I don't think all our listeners will know that, but uh, I think a lot of them will, and, and if they don't, I think it's it's important that they understand that. So where does crypto today, where does crypto fit in the payment space? Who uses it, and why do they use it? How do they use it? Yeah, so if you think about our payments history. So when I give these presentations, I often talk about the history of money going all the way back to the origins of civilization, thinking about the use of gold, uh, even in some civilizations, seashells as physical commodity money. And then I talk about, you know, none of these objects really have intrinsic value. And so money is designed to function as a way to transfer value. It can be adopted by any community. So we just simply agree on what we're going to use as money. But if you think about that long evolution from physical commodity money to then paper backed by physical commodities, that's the gold standard. We went off the gold standard in 1971. So we now live in a world of sovereign fiat currency. But that in itself is changing as it relates to method of payment because we've gone from a world of paper-based currency to now electronic payments. But I would argue that even though, especially with COVID, as we've gone even uh, further and accelerated even faster into electronic contactless payments, we still live in a world that is heavily intermediated. And so, you know, most of our payments today are now card based, credit card, debit card. It's still connected to accounts. It's still based on Visa and MasterCard. And so I think what we have lost is a sense of cash. We are moving towards a cashless society. People are no longer carrying around $20 bills in a wallet or a purse. But what we have lost in that process is peer-to-peer transactions, the ability of a buyer to pay a merchant without all the transaction fees associated with the Visa and MasterCard networks. And so what I think cryptocurrency introduces is a paradigm shift that brings back the idea of peer-to-peer as it relates to physical cash, but it reintroduces it in digital form. So I think the paradigm shift that we are talking about going forward is cryptocurrency as digital cash, the ability to transfer value on the internet from one digital wallet to another digital wallet, real time, peer to peer. And so even though people are not buying pizza and coffee with Bitcoin, and I don't think that's around the corner here in the US with the introductions of things like stable coins, 
the introduction of alternative blockchains like Solana that are designed for scalability and speed and throughput, I think we are moving in the direction of a blockchain-based payment rail that can transfer digital value from one digital wallet to another. And so there's a lot of products that are already out there where people are trying to layer crypto on the existing rails, you know, credit cards with crypto rewards, or Coinbase has a card where you can pay with stable coins and the merchant receives fiat currency. And so people are trying to figure this out, but the the vision I think in where this is headed is again, blockchain based with transfer across digital wallets. And I think it's just a matter of time. So to dig a little deeper, why should credit unions care about crypto today? Well, first of all, because I think many of their members care about it. A lot of the credit unions I'm meeting with, you know, they've been looking at their ACH transfers, at their transaction records, and they're seeing outflows out of their member share accounts of members uh, sending funds to Coinbase, for instance, as a crypto exchange. And so many credit union members have been buying crypto already. Those numbers have come down, obviously, this year with the sell-off, but uh, the numbers are still there. And if you look at the, the analytics, the distribution of those funds transfers, very often it's members who are younger in their 20s, 30s, early 40s, people who have money, but they are starting to invest in crypto as a form of digital asset. So I think where we are right now is credit unions trying to figure out this idea of crypto as a digital asset and whether they want to offer that to their members. But I also, when I meet with credit unions, I encourage them to remember that there are other applications of this technology. So, you know, as like we were talking about with money and payments, I think eventually that's going to change the way that people use financial services to buy things. And then ultimately, I try and explain the platform that all of this is built on is blockchain. And what makes blockchain unique and special is it is a decentralized platform, not a centralized platform. So we have a lot of existing platforms, you know, like Apple, Google, basically the big tech platforms and blockchain creates an alternative way of sharing information and building applications. And so whether that's auto lending, real estate lending, even non-fungible tokens, these are all different applications or potential applications of blockchain. And so credit unions should also be exploring how they want to build their tech infrastructure going forward with some of these new technologies. And you mentioned you give lots of presentations before credit union gatherings. And what are some of the questions that credit unions ask you after or during those presentations? Well, I think a lot of people are still just trying to figure this out. So at a fundamental level, those presentations are educational. So, you know, some credit unions are inviting me in to do board education just to explain what crypto is, what blockchain is. But I think the questions then often come up of like, okay, well, what do we do with this? What are the implications for us? And, and I do want to caution credit unions to say, you know, this is risky. And so there is a lot of reputational risk at stake here. So credit unions are trusted primary financial institutions. And 
this type of technology, it's innovative, but innovation often comes with risk. And we've seen that with the crypto prices. And so you don't want to jump in to the deep end. But on the other hand, I do encourage them to start to explore this and experiment with it. And so the questions often arise of like, well, what would that take? How would we even do that? Or, you know, at a fundamental level, does this even have any value? You know, I just I want to acknowledge there are probably listeners to this podcast who still question whether cryptocurrency even is legitimate. And so I think every credit union needs to be working through that process with their board, with their leadership team, forming a sense of agreement about what they want to do in this space. And if you have serious concerns about crypto, then maybe you want to focus more on the blockchain as the underlying technology and try and do other things with that. So I'm just trying to educate the credit union industry that there are a lot, this is an ecosystem and there's a lot of different directions that you can go with this. And and you've explained a little bit, I I know that consumers are interested in, but if you wanted to build a case, why should a credit union offer crypto? Is it because of consumer interest? Well, I think that's a starting place. And so, you know, if you have existing members who are already buying crypto, then you want to think about how do we potentially internalize some of that? So rather than having to move money out of your accounts, maybe you could partner with a fintech company and they could be buying crypto through your credit union. And so it's kind of like thinking about you know, wallet share and just trying to keep them engaged on your digital platform rather than them continually moving off your platform. And then I think also member growth and reaching potential members. So some of the credit unions that I've been working with have really gotten serious about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, not just among existing members, but trying to reach potential members, financial inclusion, trying to reach people who are maybe lower income or people of color. So there's a lot of discussion now about how crypto relates to different parts of our society and different demographics. And I think some people associate crypto with the wealthy and maybe, you know, the majority groups in our uh, country. But actually, there's uh, some research showing that some of the minority uh, population are actually more comfortable with crypto because they trust it in a way that they don't trust the government or financial institutions. And so it's about how do we start to reach some of these groups who are uh, typically underserved by financial institutions and potentially crypto as a service is part of that whole relationship because some of them are already doing crypto and maybe inviting them to also have a savings account and to start to think about the pros and cons of these two different forms of saving. So crypto can be a way to serve the underserved. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I heard there was a a credit union I recently met with and one of the board members was talking about even family members in the Latino community who only save their money in crypto. And so how do we start to reach people who maybe don't trust financial institutions 
and they trust crypto, but crypto is super risky. And so, you know, putting all your money in crypto is not a good place to be. And so how do we reach those folks and then start to bring them into some of the other services that credit unions provide? That's really interesting because I always, I guess I just kind of think of it as just because of the technology aspect that I always think of it as kind of a an elitist type thing that people just want to test the technological aspect of it. But that is completely the wrong impression. No, because buying crypto is easier than ever. You know, you can buy it in so many different places, so many different apps now, you know, whether it's Venmo and Robinhood or Cash App, there are Bitcoin ATMs. And so people across the whole range of our society are buying crypto and it, it actually has lower hurdles of entry relative to like a credit union account. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to fill out all the paperwork and all that stuff. And so right. it, it actually is an easier entry point. Building on that a little bit, crypto recently went through a, a pretty significant market correction or a drop in value. Do you want to explain why that occurred? Yeah. So when I talk about crypto now, I often start with the word technology. So I view crypto as a form of technology because it's built on blockchain and blockchain itself is a technology. So regardless of how people feel about crypto, I think it's important to acknowledge, look, this is just a new form of technology. How does technology perform in the business cycle? So if you think about where we've gone as an economy, so you know my background is with the Federal Reserve, and so I'm actually an economist by training. I think the, the drivers of crypto in this year have been the economic drivers, the same ones that have been impacting the stock market. As we've gone from expansion to slowing economy, as we've gone to high inflation, 8%, 9%, Fed raising uh, interest rates and monetary tightening, that has caused you know stock valuations to plummet. And so, in the first half of the year, you know the Dow falls twenty percent. We're in a bear market, but the Nasdaq fell thirty percent. And so, in a downward part of the business cycle, tech stocks and risk assets sell off the most. Crypto is now the tech frontier. It is kind of the ultimate risk asset. And so it, when we are in a risk off investment envi uh, environment, it's gonna get crushed. And that's exactly what happened. And so I think crypto is not gonna bounce back anytime soon because we're still in this period of high inflation, rising interest rates, and I think likely going into a recession that the Fed is probably going to create. And so until we get through that period, post-recession and get back into an economic growth cycle, I think that's when we're going to start seeing tech stocks outperforming the Dow and crypto outperforming tech stocks. Now, full disclosure and disclaimer, not an investment advisor, but that's how I think about it. Did that downturn hurt the market at all? I mean, beyond what would normally occur, the crypto market? Yeah, yeah. So there's very interesting discussions about this, even within the, the crypto community, because obviously people who own a lot of crypto, they're, you know, they suffer when prices fall. And so there's a lot of people who lost a lot of money. But there's a lot of people in the crypto community who view this as a healthy process that they're, they're sort of, you know, crypto can quickly turn into an asset bubble. 
It's the same thing that happened in late 2017 when Bitcoin went up to 20,000 and then crashed shortly thereafter. And that sort of asset bubble where everybody's talking about crypto and suddenly, it, you know, you're getting tips from your buddies and it, this whole like FOMO of fear of missing out. That's not really healthy for a market. It gets out of control. And so some people would argue, look, let's just kind of take the top off the market, come back down to these more reasonable valuations, typically called a crypto winter. That's when people build. That's when the focus shifts from just trying to make money and get rich to more kind of understanding the technology, what you can do with it. And so I think it's a, it's a healthy part of the cycle. And I think there are some of the you know, crypto projects that totally collapsed during this bear market. And, uh, you know, Warren Buffett has this famous quote of, you know, it's not until the tide goes out that you find out who's been swimming naked. And, you know, in crypto, there are always going to be people who are taking on excessive risk. And so those lenders like Celsius, they blew up because they simply got out over their skis. And so this is where I think credit unions have a role to play going forward as it relates to crypto, because credit unions understand risk management. They understand, you know, how do we kind of manage wealth through the business cycle? And so there's a lot of people who are crypto curious who need the assistance, the education, the relationship with a financial institution that they can trust because they've, there's a lot of people who have gotten burned. And I think credit unions could help them understand and implement crypto in a more kind of sustainable and rational way. Now, credit unions come from a regulatory environment. And you, and you said that one of the attractions is kind of the, the lack of regulatory requirements to, to sign up for crypto. When, where does regulation fit with crypto? Is that something that's going to come in the future? It is definitely coming and it's already been coming. So regulation has been increasing. And historically, when you had more regulation, that was bad for crypto prices because its origins are really as an unregulated form of money. But I think as crypto is becoming more mainstream, as there's more institutional adoption, there's a recognition that we need more regulation. And so people are, many people are now craving transparency, consistency, you know, what is the SEC's view on digital assets? How should these be treated? Are they a security or not? People want a little more clarity in that regard. And I think also common misunderstanding is that crypto sort of exists totally independent of the financial system. But in my presentations, I often talk about these things called fiat on ramps. And so if you want to buy crypto with US dollars, you have to go through a fiat on ramp because dollars are fiat. And to, to get into crypto, you have to go through something, typically a crypto exchange like Coinbase. And so to buy crypto with dollars, you have to complete all of that personal information, the KYC, BSA, AML. And so that intersection between our existing system and the crypto new emerging system is highly regulatable. There's a lot of focus now on how do we blend both the privacy and anonymity of the crypto blockchain system with the requirement of you know knowing your customer and the traditional system. That bridge is being built. And again, that's where I think credit unions have a role to play as regulated financial institutions 
of helping connect the the identity of their members with these services so that they can act access those services but do so in a safe and secure way that protects consumers and also abides by the laws of the land before we go is, is there anything that you want to add that might be good for our listeners to know so a few things that i talk about as it relates to potential applications of blockchain so we've talked a little bit about money as an application of blockchain and assets as an application of blockchain so i've developed this framework that i call a map for cryptocurrency and so the m and the a are money asset and then the p is platform so understanding blockchain as a platform that you can build applications on and so those applications could potentially be in the direction of lending so you know i think if you start to understand non-fungible tokens or nfts that's a digital record of ownership if we can figure out how to convert car title or real estate title into NFTs that people can own as a digital asset, then we can start to record ownership of physical assets on a blockchain. If we can start creating auto loans or real estate loans that are recorded on a blockchain, that's then decentralized finance or DeFi. And so many of the things that are already being done in the crypto ecosystem, I think we can take those technologies and apply them to basic credit union services like lending. And then uh, a couple other things, the internet itself is potentially going to be transformed by this stuff. And so Web3 is the emergence of a, a way to access the internet without giving up private information. That will potentially have implications for member engagement. And then lastly, the metaverse. This is an area that I am super excited about. Many people do not associate that with blockchain. But the true believers in the metaverse would say, I don't want to work or live or play on a digital platform owned by a corporation like Meta. They want to live, work, and play in a digital world that is owned by the people in that world. It is decentralized. And so the, I think the future of digital economy is going to be built on blockchain. That's going to be metaverse. That's going to be all these other applications. And so the super long-term view, and when I say super long-term, I'm talking 15 to 30 years. I think I want credit unions to be focused on how do they gradually transition in this emerging direction so that they are prepared to participate and thrive in this new type of digital economy. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 